I've got a message I want to share with you this morning, so we're going to kind of pivot a little bit, head in a little bit different direction. I, I want to start by telling you a little story that I read, and, and uh, it's, it's about this little old and very cute couple that walked into a local fast food restaurant. And the little, the little old man went up to the counter and he ordered, he ordered their food and he brought back to the table one hamburger, a small pack of fries, and a drink, one drink. This little old man carefully sliced that hamburger in two and then he neatly divided that small little bag of fries in two small piles. He sipped the drink, then he passed the cup across the table to his little old wife. She took a sip and passed it back to him. Well, there was a younger man nearby who was watching all this go on, and he really began to feel sorry for him. So he offered to buy them another meal. The old man respectfully declined, and he told that young man, he said, listen, we're used to sharing everything. Well, the old man began to eat his food while his wife waited patiently on the other side of the table, still not eating. That young man continued to watch that older couple feeling feeling like there was just something he ought to be doing to help him out. And as the old man finished his half of the burger and his half of the fries, the, the old lady still hadn't started eating hers. So the young man couldn't take it anymore. And he asked the old lady, Ma'am, why aren't you eating? And that old lady looked up and she politely said, while she pointed at the old man, I'm waiting on the tea. No, look, I'm telling you that story not to gross you out. I'm just telling you that story to help you realize that, not, that, that things aren't always what they appear to be. Things aren't always what they appear to be. When you show up on any given Sunday morning to CLF and all you see is me standing up front leading the service or preaching a message, you might be tempted to think that I'm the one responsible for CLF and all the great ministry that goes on around here, and nothing could be further from the truth. There are a lot of great people, servant leaders. We're blessed. We have so many great people who do so much to make all the good things happen that happen here. So it's not just me. It's a lot of other great leaders who sometimes operate in the background that you never see that make what we do possible. And, and, and I, I want to, to talk about leadership today. Leadership is absolutely critical to a church. Absolutely critical to a church. Bad leadership kills churches. Can I get an amen from somebody that's been on? Good leadership can cause a church to thrive. In spite of every other circumstance that may seem wild and wacky and out of control, good leadership can cause a church to thrive. And it's true in life, and it's true in the life of a church. As goes the leadership, so goes the church. A church can never rise above the spirituality of its leadership. And that's why good leadership is so vital to us here at Christian Life Fellowship. We're going through a little book in the New Testament called Titus. It's actually a letter that's been, that was written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Titus. And in this letter, Paul tells Titus how to put churches in good order how to structure a church around certain practices that help the church thrive and be a light to its community. And I don't know about you, 
that I want CLF to be like a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. We want the light of our good works to shine brightly so that others will glorify God because of us. So we've turned to this little book of Titus to show us how. I'm trying to cast a little vision here as the year gets started. And by the way, I wanted to point out to you that I've got some Bible studies printed out. If you would like to go home and study the book of Titus for yourself, there are some uh, Bible studies that I printed out. They're on the back table. Feel free to help yourself take one home and go through it yourself. Last week, we looked at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and we talked about the priority of preaching the Word of God. And I hope that you, if you didn't hear the message last week, I hope you go home and listen to it. Today, we're going to look at Titus 1, verses 5 through 16, and we're going to talk about the need for leadership. The need for leadership. Because as Titus teaches us, I think, good leadership produces a people who are passionate to do good works. Good leaders... Good leadership produces a people who are passionate to do good works that bring glory to God. Let's read this passage of Scripture together. Let's get right into it. You guys follow along. Paul writes and says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Ouch. This testimony is true. Which love the way Paul says, and he's right. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who, are, who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for this word. I pray, God, that you would help us to latch on to what you are saying to us about leadership, about the kind of leadership we should look for, about the kind of leadership we should follow, about the kind of leadership we should provide. Lord, help us to see how we can practice good leadership so that we can become the church that you've called us to be. A church that's devoting itself to good works. A church that's raising up disciples who are passionate to bring glory and honor to God. Nothing less will do, Lord. We want to satisfy the purpose for which you've called us. Help us to do that. Teach us what that means. Give us direction, and then motivate us, Lord Jesus, 
Empower us to fulfill this purpose for your name's sake. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is a really simple message, and at the conclusion of this message, I'm going to call our current leadership up, and we're going to pray over them as a body, okay? So that's where we're headed today. This passage of Scripture makes it really, really clear that every church needs good leadership. Every church needs good leadership. Paul tells Titus in verse 5 to appoint elders in every town. By elders, what he means is the men and women who have been trusted to give spiritual oversight to those churches. To be a church that effectively reaches its community for Christ will require good and godly leadership. And now Paul followed this pattern everywhere he went. You can scour the New Testament and you'll see for for yourself that everywhere Paul planted a church, he also appointed leaders, elders, to lead that church. We see it in Acts chapter 14 where it says, And when they, that's Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the consistent pattern throughout the New Testament. The churches in Jerusalem, the church in Ephesus, and Galatia, and others were all led by elders appointed to lead the church, to have oversight of the church. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot else about how churches were structured. We don't really know a lot of other details about how they were organized, except for this one fact. They were all led by elders. That's really the only organizational structure we're given. The only organizational guidance we're given. What that tells me is this. What that tells me is that God has given us a lot of flexibility about the way we organize the ministries of our church. It gives us lots of options. We can have a ministry that reaches out and disciples young people, but we don't have to. We can have a Sunday school, but we don't have to. We can have a ministry that serves people in recovery, but we don't have to. We can have Two business meetings every year, one, or one business, every, business meeting every month, but we don't have to have any business meetings at all. The New Testament doesn't say anything about business meetings. We can have committees, and we can have greeters, we can have a hospitality team, we can have a choir, we can have a worship team, but we don't have to have any of it. We don't have to be, have any of it. We don't even have to have a building to be a church. I'll be frank, some of the best churches I've ever been to had no building at all. They met under a tent, they met under a banana tree. Some of the best church services I've been in been, have been in somebody's home. You don't have to have a building to be an effective church. But there's one thing we absolutely do need. And that's good, godly leadership. Good, godly leadership. We need good, godly leadership in place to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. We need people who can be trusted to lead us spiritually if we're going to be that city set on a hill. God uses elders, God uses leaders to create a people who are devoted to doing good and bringing glory to God. Can't do without good leadership in a church. So what kind of leaders ought we to look for? 
What kind of leaders ought we, do we really need? Do we need educated leaders? Do we need leaders with college backgrounds? Do we need college, uh, Bible school educated leaders? Do we need wealthy ones? Do we need gifted ones? Do they need business experience? Do they need to be politically connected? What kind of leadership do we need? Do they always need to see eye to eye with a pastor? Thank you. I don't know who said that, but you were quick on the trigger. <laughs> this passage of scripture tells us precisely what kind of leadership we need. First of all, we need leaders with good character. We need leaders with character. Paul drives this point home by using the phrase above reproach twice in verses 6 and 7. Above reproach. Say that with me. Above reproach. That means an elder must be free from accusation within the church or outside the church. That the elders, the leaders, need a good reputation above reproach throughout the community. That makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it make sense? If a church is led by people with terrible reputations in the community, then how effective can they be in reaching that community for the glory of God? Well, Paul bores down just a little bit further, and he points out a couple of areas in particular of a leader's life that must be above reproach to qualify as a leader in his church. First, above reproach in his home life. Verse 6 says, He should be the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, let me be honest. <laughs> let me be honest. You want to start a good church fight? Look at this verse. This verse has started many a good church fight. Churches have split over the exact meaning of this verse. Some of the questions that have been raised are, are like this. Can a woman be an elder? Some churches say no, some churches say yes. Does the man or woman have to be married? Some would say no, some would say yes. What if they've been divorced? Uh-oh. Does he or she have to have kids? Look, those may be important questions, and we can talk about those. I don't think the church needs to split over them. But what I think Paul is really driving home here is that the church leader, especially an elder, especially someone who has been given oversight of the church, must be faithful. Say that word with me, faithful. That elder must be faithful to his or her spouse, faithful to his or her kids, faithful to his or her home. You see, if the elder isn't faithful to his or her home, how can we possibly expect him to be faithful to his or her church? Does that make sense? Paul is saying you need to make sure that the elders that are appointed to get, have spiritual oversight are faithful, above reproach in their home life. So, step back for just a minute. Here's a little application. If you desire to be a leader in a church, you better not neglect your home. Because when it comes to church leadership, the home is a leader's training ground. You get that? Prove yourself at home first, and then God will open up those leadership opportunities in His church for you later. Does that make sense? 
above reproach. All right, the second area that Paul mentions specifically where an elder needs to be above reproach or reputation needs to be really good is in the overall pattern of life. The way they live their life. In verses 7 and 8, Paul lists five vices and six virtues that paint a picture of the kind of character a church leader should have. It's, it says it mu- he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Those were the five vices. Here come the six virtues. But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, and a great speaker, and really able to keep your attention, and really funny. Oh, that's right, didn't didn't go on to that. It's really funny how we want to focus on charisma. When God said, I don't care about charisma, I care about character. Anyway, did you notice that in this list, this list of things that are given to us here, that these are things that should be expected of every believer? Did you notice that? I mean... Just because you're not an elder doesn't mean that you get to be arrogant and quick-tempered, does it? You don't get a license to get drunk and violent because you're not in church leadership, do you? I mean, every Christian ought to be hospitable, a lover of good, and self-controlled, right? This list of qualities, it applies to us all, whether we're in church leadership or not. So what we need to do is look, look at, at this list of character qualities in, in the correct way. I want you to see that these ideals, that these elders are called to, uh, these, these, are, these are, excuse me, I don't want you to see these ideals that leaders and elders live by once they step into their leadership role. No, no, no. These are prerequisite qualities that should already be in place before they ever step into their role. Does that make sense? This isn't something they aspire to once they get into the leadership role. This is the kind of character they have before they step into this leadership role. All right? And then, of course, after they get into that leadership role, they ought to continue to live according to this standard, right? So it it makes sense in so many ways. But really what Paul points out here is the real reason God wants elders to have irreproachable character is because they are his stewards. They are his stewards. They are accountable to him. Verse 7 says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. You see, those leaders have been placed in a role that represents God to that congregation. And he says, boys, this is the way I want you to live, and this is the way I want you to act. You represent me when you stand up here in a leadership role. You're my steward. Don't you ever forget it. You're not responsible to them. God says, you're responsible to me. You're responsible to me. And as God's stewards, he should be able to trust the leadership to represent him well in the way they live and in the way they lead. So we need leaders with character. We also need leaders with conviction. We need leaders with real conviction. Verse 9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Our leaders 
especially those among us who were counted as elders, must be men and women of the book, men and women of the Bible. They should know their Bibles, and they should know them well, and they should seek to know them better. But simply knowing the Word isn't the standard set by God here. They must hold firmly to the Word. They must have a tenacious grip on biblical truth. You see, God doesn't want them just to have a head knowledge of the Word. What He wants is that knowledge of the Word to penetrate their hearts and motivate their lives. Elders need a firm grasp on God's word, according to verse 9, because they've also been given the responsibility to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. They need to know the word so well that they can teach it and they can correct those who would, who would misuse it. So to be a city set on a hill, the church needs leaders. It needs leaders with godly character. It needs leaders with biblical conviction. But third, it needs, there's a third characteristic I think that God is looking for here. We need leaders with courage. Say that word with me, courage. Courage. God wants leadership with courage. Steadfast courage. In other passages of the New Testament, we're told that elders have several responsibilities regarding the church. 1 Peter 5 tells us that elders are to lead the church by governing its affairs or directing the, direct, uh, the, the affairs of the church. 2 Timothy 4.2 says that, that elders are to feed the church by teaching the word of God. James chapter 5 says that they are to care for the church by meeting their spiritual needs. And there's a fourth responsibility that's pointed out to us here in the book of Titus. Elders are to shepherd the church by protecting it from harm. And Titus hones in on this fourth responsibility because it requires a lot of courage. Why? Because there's a lot to protect the church from, frankly. Paul focuses on this fourth responsibility in verses 10 through 16, and I encourage you to go home and look at it for yourself because we're just going to skim the highlights. Paul said to Titus that elders need to be in place to protect the church from false teachers who would disrupt the unity of God's family. Verse 10 says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Verse 11 says, They must be silenced. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. I hope you realize it takes courage to confront people when they're leading other people astray. Especially in a culture like ours that celebrates individualism and anti-authoritarianism. I hope you realize that insubordinate, rebellious people don't take correction very well. You ever tried to hurt a bunch of cats? Then you know what I'm talking about. It takes courage to point out false teaching that leads people away from what's really true. Especially when our culture insists that we accept every belief as equally true. It takes courage to look at somebody and say, you know what, man, that's not right. And I can't let you teach that here anymore. Empty talkers. I kind of like that phrase. Look that phrase up for yourself. Go home to a commentary. It means this, people talking nonsense. 
windbags. I love that one. Empty talkers. They're always doing this, but they ain't saying nothing. Except spreading foolishness and causing controversy over things that don't even really need to be talked about. It takes courage to look at those people and say, wait a minute, (laughs) dude, that doesn't even make sense. You just would be better off not to say that. And if you're going to continue to say that, you got to go somewhere else. Empty talkers, people talking nonsense, windbags, they don't like being called out. They don't like being called out. They don't like being reprimanded. It takes courage. It takes courage to challenge deceivers who disguise themselves as followers of Christ and present themselves as full of biblical knowledge. It takes courage. I mean, they look like Christians, they sound like Christians, but it's all a sham. Their words and their actions don't line up. Verse 16 talks about it. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their word, by their works. We have a lot of that going on in the church today. Thank God not much in our church, but a lot going on. I, I call them Christian atheists. They say they believe in God, but they live as if He doesn't exist. And they have a way of enticing and drawing people away from the truth that saves into a truth that kills. It's not really a truth at all. They think it is, and they present it to be true. It takes courage to confront some of that. And they will sometimes out themselves as deceivers when they won't do anything unless they get some kind of reward or compensation for it. Verse 11 says they teach for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Let me tell you something. It takes courage. It takes courage in a culture like ours to be a leader that leads. It's too easy to kind of fade in the background and just let people, you know, just let it play itself out. But there's a time where somebody has to step up and say, enough's enough. You can't do that here anymore. You can't live that way anymore. You can't teach that here anymore. It takes courage. It takes courage to face some of these fakes down and rebuke them sharply, as Paul says to do. Rebuke them. But the rebuke's not intended to humiliate them. The rebuke is intended to restore them. And that's what we always have to keep in mind. Even in the conflict, it's not to drive them away. It's to lead them to the truth and to restore them. People don't like to be rebuked. Even if it's justified, they don't like to be rebuked. Even if it's done for the sake of restoration, they don't like to be rebuked. But that's the duty, that's the responsibility of an elder who leads his church as God would have him or her lead. Now that's a, that's a practice that we, you know, we've been here, I've been here now 16 years. Steve has walked side by side with me for 16 years. Bill came alongside about 11 years ago, 12 now, time flies. And Lord Jesus, have we had to show some courage sometimes. Because that's the kind of world we live in. To be the church that God calls us to be, to be like a city set on a hill, we need good and godly leadership. There's just no substitute for it. We need leaders with godly character. We need leaders with biblical conviction. We need leaders with steadfast courage. Because it's these leaders who serve as our examples of, for what it means to really believe in Christ. They serve as our examples for what it means to really live for Christ. 
They model for us what it means to love and serve one another. They show us in word and deed how to live our lives as a light to the world. We need good leadership. We need good good leadership. And I'm so grateful we got some. I'm so grateful we've got some. We have such leaders. We have such leaders. I'm going to call them up to the front because what I want you guys to do is pray over them. I think the most important thing you can do for the leadership in this church is to pray for us on a daily basis. Because the devil would, we, we walk, you guys don't understand this, we walk around with targets on our back. First of all, the enemy hates us. And he would love to somehow corrupt our witness. And we've seen it happen in other places. God, don't let it happen here. We also take a lot of unjustified criticism sometimes as God, God's leaders. Sometimes it's justified, and I hope we're open to criticism, but sometimes I'm not sure it's all that fair. Thank God we don't have much of that going on at Christian Life Fellowship, to my knowledge. But I'm going to call our leadership up, leadership team, that the, the men and women that have been given spiritual oversight of this fellowship. John and Brian, your wives as well, please, you bring them up. Chris and Laura are away on a trip to Michigan, so they're not here. Cindy would be here. She's on a cruise. We're paying her way too much. I'm kidding. Michael and Savannah Grace serve our kids. Tyler that works with Chris and Laura. You guys, come on up, come on up, come on up. What are you waiting for? Come on up. We have elders who I look to for counsel and advice. Steve Taylor, Bill and Jenny Tornator, Richard and Debbie Godwin, Ed and Christine. Would you guys come up? So, uh, Andrew, would you go get your mom? Man, we're so blessed with leadership here. And as we launch into this new year, I want you to know who your leadership is, and I want you to know that these are the people that, need, that you need to cover with your prayer, that you need to honor as your leaders. You need to defend them sometimes from some of the attacks. This is our leadership team. God has blessed us with people of character, people with biblical conviction, and people with courage. And another reason why I wanted to preach this message is because I see God raising up other leaders here. I've watched him put his hand on some of you, and I know you're destined for leadership. Maybe not at CLF, but somewhere. God has his hand on you. He's going to use you in a leadership role. And let me tell you this, the devil will do everything he can to get you off track to distract you and discourage you and take you away from God's plan for your life. And I wanted, I wanted to use this message as an opportunity maybe to pour a little gasoline on your fire, to encourage you to begin now, begin now to prepare for that leadership role 
when it comes. Don't wait for the day you're voted into leadership. You be ready for it. You start preparing yourself for it today. Today. Get yourself ready for it today. By growing in your knowledge of the word. That's what I love about this church, man. I'm watching some of you guys come in with absolutely no Bible knowledge whatsoever. And in just a matter of months, a year, two years goes by. And you know more than some of the people that have been sitting in these chairs for decades. Because you're hungry for the word and you're growing in the word and that's setting you up for leadership. Grow in your knowledge of the word. Grow in your walk with the Lord. Learn what it means to surrender to him, to lay your agenda down for his. Grow in your walk with the Lord. Learn to lead well now in your home because that's where you're being trained for leadership in God's house, in your home. You're learning to lead your children right now. And in learning to lead your children, you're going to learn how to lead adults who, for the most part, act like children. Sorry, I said that. It came out. I couldn't stop it. Must have been anointed. Lead in your home. Learn to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. And find a place right now to begin serving. Find a place right now to plug in, to begin serving in some capacity, because in that experience, you're going to grow. You can't really lead unless you know how to follow. That's one lesson I've learned in life. I've got to know what the people I'm leading are feeling and thinking and struggling with so that I can help them overcome those fears and those barriers to help them become all that they're supposed to be in Christ. I've got to learn, I've got to know how to follow before I can ever lead. I love these guys. I, I love this group of people. I'll go to fight, I'll, I'll go to war with them. Sometimes I feel like we've been in some battle. <laughs> we've already, some of us, gone through some really difficult things together, and our hearts have bonded over it. And we know, I know what these folks are made of. I know their character. I know their convictions. I know their courage. And I believe God's got great things ahead of us. We've got great leadership in place. We've got wonderful people who are beginning to come in and plug in and find purpose in the kingdom of God. I could not be more excited for what God is doing here.